0: Amen. So our theme for this year is embracing a greater purpose. And tonight, I believe the Lord wants me to share on the subject of moving from good to great. So we have heard a lot over the last couple of weeks. And the thing that stands out for me and that continues to resonate in my mind is when God takes us through process the product changes or takes on a new greater purpose on the other side so I thought about even in nature when you look at the, calip- at the calipiter when he leaves the cocoon it takes on a whole new purpose as a butterfly so I looked up this word metamorphosis and here's the definition It says, it is the process of transformation, the changing of an immature form, a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely new one by natural, or watch this, by supernatural means. So purpose is discovered as God takes us through process. So before I get into the whole discussion around purpose, I want to um, just give us a quick refresher because we've talked about the subject of uh, purpose before in the past. And so for some of you, you know, this will just be a quick review. So purpose, definition, is the reason for which something is done, created, or for which something exists. Let me say that again. Purpose is the reason for which something is done, something is created, or f- for which something exists. A few synonyms are cause, meaning, motivation, etc. Jesus said, For this cause I came into the earth. For this purpose I came into the earth. And when I think about um, all the teachings that we received over the years in this ministry, you know, we can go all the way back to the Westminster Catechism, and we know that man's chief end is for us to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, since this is true, we know that we are all created to know God and to make Him known. And also, we can conclude that we are all created for a purpose. Are we tracking so far? Amen. So, now that we're clear on that, I want to add three quick notes about purpose. Number one, it all starts with God, everything got started with Him and finds its purpose in him that's in Colossians 1:16 that's the, the uh, message translation so it all starts with God number 2 purpose is an end but not a means to an end and so it is with salvation it's not an end but a means to an end and then thirdly purpose is costly so since purpose is costly Most people don't want to be a means to an end, but most people want to be the end, or most people want to be the reason, right? So I say all of that to say purpose is a path to meaning, all right? So that was my quick refresher on purpose. Hopefully you all got that. Amen. So we're going to move on, and if you didn't get it, so... But Pastor used to say, you had to go back and get the tape. <laughs> so, so some of y'all don't remember that. back. I remember those days back on Candler McAfee where we had Jan, those cassette tapes. So, <laughs> so, so he'd be preaching on the subject and we'd be going on. He said, I can't go back over that again. You have to go back and get the tape. <laughs> so now I guess we say we have to go back and get the live stream, right? <laughs> Amen. So let's jump into the scriptures. Um, So purpose starts with us answering the call. In the Gospels, we read about how Jesus invited men to follow me. And that was basically the invitation. He said, follow me. And we see examples of men who dropped everything and followed him. If we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. In another scripture we see in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10 and 11, it says, And so also James and John and the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Another example of that is in Luke 5, 27 and 28. After these things, he went out and saw the tax collector named Levi, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. In Luke 9, chapter 9, verses 59 and 60, then he said to another, follow me. But then, watch, this person had a different answer. You see the theme of follow me, follow me, follow me. So we know... Just by scripture, there were those that were obedient and obeyed, right, quickly, right away. But when we get down to Luke 59, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go uh, bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, and, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. So now this man seems willing to accept the invitation but he replies with, now is not a good time. And I say, wow. So most of us, when we read that scripture, and you think about fast forward to 2024, right? I would say most people in the world would identify with, you know, I could probably understand his excuse and could really say, well, he, he wasn't really telling the Lord no. He didn't say no. He just said, not right now. Right? But here's the, here's, here's the danger in that. Here's the problem with this. We need to be careful in saying that I'll do it tomorrow. That's one of the biggest tricks of the enemy when he whispers in your ear, you have time. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it next week. Right? So it's a slippery path when we get in the habit of saying, well, well Lord, not, not right now. Because in the natural, it kind of sounds okay to say, well, I didn't say no. You know, I I didn't say I wasn't going to do it. I just said, not right now. So now, I want to get to the next person that I want to highlight was the um, rich young ruler. And this is in Matthew um, chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And it says... Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he's like, okay, this conversation is going pretty good so far. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness. Um, Honor your father and mother, and you should love your neighbors yourself. So the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still like? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But the young man, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So we see a theme where the Lord spoke to men, and, he, and we see where others said, you know what? I appreciate your ministry, but not right now. You know, I got other things to do. And now we see a situation where the rich young ruler says, "says No." He he. The Bible says he he went away sorrowful. So he didn't. Jesus still extended the offer to follow me. He didn't. He didn't like turn him away as soon as he saw him coming. He said, "This is the condition: go and sell what you have, and then come back, and you can follow." Me. Sorrowful because, and so, the Bible. Oh, he had some stuff, right? Now we know by by reading this account in Matthew um, nine and and uh, verse one through four. It's, this was talking of this incident when the Pharisees were basically judging um, Jesus for for healing. It says that when he got in the boat, he crossed over and came to his city. Then behold, they brought him to a paral paralytic lying on a bed, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your your sins are forgiven, are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, now notice, they didn't say this out loud. They said it in their heart. This man blasphemes. Like, I don't don't believe this. He's he's blaspheming. That's not of God. And so verse 4 says, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? So he was doing the will of God. He was healing, and signs and wonders were, were evident But he could see in the Pharisees' heart without them even opening their mouths and expressing it. So I say that to say, let's go back to the rich young ruler. Now, Jesus, knowing his thoughts, he said that the problem is the paradigm that you have. That right now, you're looking at the significance of what you have and you think that i need if i if i give up that i'll lose my identity pastor greg so he said i don't i don't know if i want to go for this deal right and so the lord seeing his heart knew right away like no that's the thing that's going to hinder you from fully following right so i can't i can't give you the invitation until you go and deal with that thing that's in your heart Right, and when you started talking about identity i said I said, "Wow, that's the Holy Spirit, because can I tell you, um, minister Ture, let me, let me just talk to the men for a second. Do you know the, the number one thing that men place value in and I'm, and I'm talking about for the most part, men in the world, and thats that's this thing of significance so if you approach any man, and ladies, I'm not excluding you. I mean, you'll see this too, right? If you approach any man in the world and you ask him, you know, what's, what's at the top of your list of things that are important to you, they basically say the, the feeling of being significant, that my life matters for something. And when you talk about I made the comment about identity, I thought about also this um, story that a friend of mine shared with me a a couple of years ago, Uh, his name was Mark Baba. He was the plant manager and he went to Chicago for a uh, plant managers uh, conference. And he said it was about eight of them. And after the meetings they had had all day long, they went out to this fancy restaurant, uh, downtown Chicago, a real nice place. And when they came out of the restaurant after eating dinner, He said, they walked past, down the sidewalk, they walked past this homeless man. And I guess the homeless man could tell that they had a little money by the way they were dressed um, by the restaurant they had just come out of. And and Mark, my friend, he said, all eight of us walked past this, this homeless guy. And he said, not one of them even looked at the guy to acknowledge him. And he said, we walked past him, and he said, I felt so convicted. I stopped, I turned around, and I went back, and I gave the guy some money. I think he gave him $10 or something out of his pocket. And the guy, you know, he took the money. And they said, the guy looked up at him, and he said, you know, I used to be somebody one day. And he said, wow. He said, I used to be somebody. I remember when I used to be somebody, you know, long ago. So that's how much value we, put, we place in our significance. That's how much value we place in the things that we possess, in our possessions. When those things are that important to you, it's like it has a stronghold on you. And that, you put that thing at, at such a high precedence or such a high value, and now someone comes along and says, oh, well, just get rid of your possessions and follow me. It's like I'm having a hard time, you know, accepting your offer right now. So I know, Pastor Greg, you mentioned Sunday also about um, how many people know those, any, anyone that's not saved, right? And the thing that I think about even as we start to pray for souls and as we start to minister to those that we know, don't be moved by what you see. And I say that to say by what they have, right? Because just because someone has a lot of stuff, a lot of possessions, it doesn't mean that they have it all together. They're, I mean, and a lot of times, their life can be just as empty, you know, on the inside then, then you would, and you would never know it. And, you, and they have this facade that I have it have it all together, you know. I think about a Minister Comas. I'm looking at him back there. I was sharing with him years ago. We talked, and uh, I was sharing my testimony with him one time, and he said, uh, he said, "Oh, so you were you were up and out?" And I said, "Up and out." He said, "Yeah, you know, most people." You know, when they received the law, he said, you know, they may have lost their job, or they may have been on drugs, or they may have lost everything and just hit rock bottom. He said, you weren't down and out, you were up and out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I said, okay, I get it, I get it, right? I'm still lost, right? I'm, I'm still, you know, on a, on a path to destruction, right? On my way to hell, I, I may have been working, I may have had a job, I may have had a house. So don't be fooled by what you see that people may possess, that things that people may have. If God is laying out on our hearts to pray for somebody and to, and to minister to that person, get past that. You know, don't get hung up on that because a lot of times when we say we're going to go out and, and evangelize or we're going to go out and witness, well, let me, look for, let me look around for someone that's worse off than, than I am, right? And see, and see, God doesn't see souls that way. Right? So don't limit God to trying to look around and judge based on what you see. As a matter of fact, that was the other issue with the with the rich young ruler. Well, well, he came with an attitude of good teacher. Like like good teacher, what good thing must I do? Because he was thinking in his mind, I'm I'm a pretty good guy, right? And so the Lord just really really poked a hole in his theology right away, right? And, and I, I don't say this to, to pick on anybody. So if somebody says this, you know, don't take it that way. But I can almost see it so comical as him coming to the Lord saying, God is good, you know. And, and, and instead of Jesus saying all the time, Jesus said, no, you have heard that it was said, Right? Right, he said. He said, "No, you have heard that it was said, and um, he was he was looking at his his goodness based on his his efforts." Right, and the Lord was saying to him, "You know, have you kept the commandments?" And he was like, "Well, yeah, I, I've I've done that. You know, I'm I'm a pretty good guy. You know." Considering, you know, as again in the natural, as I look around, you know, I'm not perfect, and, and they'll throw that out too, you know, when nobody's perfect, and then and they're including themselves in that, right? When nobody's perfect, right? And Jesus said, Well, I know, and then, but in, in the rich young ruler's mind, he was saying, Considering the folks that I that I'm around, the guys that I hang with, I'm a, I'm a pretty okay guy. Right? So he was he was like, you know, and based on some of the folks that I know, I'm at least better than, you know, you you fill in the blank, right? I mean, and we don't say that kind of stuff out loud, but we say it in our hearts, you know, well, I'm at least better than you know this person, right? And and the Lord was saying, No, that's not the scale that I use, right? So he didn't want to give up the things that he had and said he went away sorrowful. So he was seeing his goodness based on the law and on human effort, and the Lord was offering him a chance to go through process. And that's where we're talking about going through process from good to great. And Jesus, again, Knowing all says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And that's in Matthew 6, 21. So the exchange, what you have now for treasures in heaven for eternity. So he went away sorrowful because at the end of the conversation, his good was not good enough. And there are a lot of people in the world today that are walking around. With the mindset of, uh, I'm a good person, you're a good person. And looking at, you know, my circle of friends, I'm a pretty okay guy. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. So, let's go on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, and this is the uh, New Life uh, version. It says, we do not compare ourselves... With those who think they are good. They compare themselves with themselves. They decide what they think is good or bad and they compare themselves with those ideas and it says they are foolish. And again, how many times do we walk around or, or those in the world walk around with that mindset of this whole thing of comparison? and? Answering the call is really going to require us to look past where we are now, how we see ourselves, and to just trust God and say, Father, I want to move from good to great, and I want to submit myself to walk through your process. Amen? So... Now I want to transition a little bit and I want to take a look at uh, the life of Paul. So when we think about Paul when he was Saul, he was 100% convinced that he was doing the will of God when he was persecuting Christians. If you had had a conversation with Saul at the time, he was a keeper of the law. Um, he He was the Lacrim lacrim, right? So he, he basically knew he was in right standing. But let's take a look at the scripture starting in Acts chapter nine, verse one, Acts chapter nine, verse one through 22. And then it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the ghost. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Then the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who, who journeyed with him stood stood speechless hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain um, disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, And he said, Here I am, Lord. So he said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision has seen a man named Ananias coming coming in and putting his hands on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord. I have heard about this man, how much he has done harm to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things, watch this. He must suffer for my name's sake. He didn't say, I want you to go and pray for him that he receive his healing, that I may bless him. He didn't go and say, I want you to pray for him and lay hands on him because he's going to start a church over on the west side. And he's going to have one of the largest ministries, you know, in that region. He said... I want you to pray for him because he will suffer for my name's sake. And in verse 17, Ananias went on his way and entered into the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, watch this, brother Saul, <laughs> brother, brother Saul. <laughs> he said, You one of us now, you're my brother. He said, Let me, let me uh let me minister to you before, you know, you get completely healed. You're you, you, one of us now. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't remember God saying that part to <laughs> I remember God saying that part. He said, oh, and just in case, filling with the Holy Spirit while he's down there on the floor. <laughs> oh, praise God. filling with the Holy Spirit all of a sudden. And it said, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized." So, verse 19, when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. And verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all those who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not one who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And reading that scripture just around the process that the Lord took him through, God doesn't always, I'll say it this way, our encounter with God isn't always the same in how we come to God. But the end result is always the same, right? So I said in the beginning that salvation is not the end but a means to the end. So it doesn't matter how we came to the Lord or how my encounter was versus your encounter. The end goal or the end purpose is the same. Amen. So I wanted to go back to uh, verse 16 for for a quick second because I don't want to skim over this. But in verse 16, it says, I will show him many things. He must suffer for my name's sake. And before his conversion, Saul was hunting Christians. Now he was about to become the hunted. Because once you identify with Christ, yeah, his friends become your friends. But also, guess what? His enemies become your, your enemies. So Paul's life was flipped upside down once he accepted the call. Where... He they had to basically smuggle him out of town. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was put in prison. We could we could read scripture after scripture of how his his life changed drastically once he answered the call. And I don't I don't want to skim over that. So sometimes when we, when we see things like he must suffer for my name's sake, we kind of shy away from it, like whoa, whoa I do I don't know if I want to sign up for that. You know, and but again, we don't want to take our eyes off the prize. And so the other thing, too, when I was reading that story, I thought about, um, I just wanted to take a a quick sidebar to talk about Ananias because the Lord went to him and he says, um, it's in another scripture. um, I, I didn't write it down, but. I I think it's, uh, uh, but anyway, it talks about how um, he was a devout Jew and having a good testimony. But when the Lord said, arise and go, you know, he obeyed obeyed immediately. He's like, okay, God, I'll go. And I think about um, in ministry, you know, when the Lord says, arise and go, how many people Answer that call immediately and don't hesitate. And I thought about brother. Berg, I, I thought about even Bethesda ministering, right? And guys like brother brother Darren Brown, brother Domingo Drakes, and brother Stephen Bates, and the whole team. Like when they go out, right? And Anais was like, I don't, I don't know how does how this guy's going to respond, you know, when I go to pray for him. But nevertheless, right? And so when you think about guys that are that committed to ministry that says, when I go out down under the bridges, when I go out on the streets, I don't know what mindset, you know, these guys are in, right? We, we trust God that he will protect us, right? But, man, can we just thank God for people that just answer the call and say, nevertheless, I'll go, Amen. And here's the other part, or or here's the kicker. I want to emphasize that if we truly receive power from God, right? We're talking about times of prayer. We're talking about times of being in his presence. And if we receive power from God in, in an encounter with God, then I am equipped to give it away. Moving from good to great comes through people who have received from God, and learn to release it in circumstances that God has ordained, right? What good is it for us to spend time coming to Wednesday night Bible study, coming to Sunday services, spending time in prayer, 6 a.m. prayer, noon prayer, but then God says, okay, I, got, I have a circumstance over here, you know, in Lithonia, I need you to go and respond to that, and you say, "Well, God, I I don't know," right? God said, "I I've equipped you for such a time as this," right? So I said, "Wow, praise God!" So let's look at Paul's testimony after going through the process, right? And and again, because we talk about moving from good to great. Paul, and it's all right, could say, yeah, I was a good guy, right? But let's look at his testimony after going through the process, right? After God changed him. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4, and we're going to read verses 4 through 12. In Philippians 3, 4, it says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man think he has Wherefore, he might trust the flesh, I more. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I had zeal. Touching the righteousness, which is in the law said, I was blameless, right? Go back. He said, go back and read about me if you don't know me. Then he said, but what things were gained for me, watch this. After God took him through process, he's saying, now what things that you think someone should count as gain, he said, I count it as loss for Christ. So, when when those people you minister to, when they look at their goodness, they can't see the other side of where Christ wants to take them. All they can see is where they are, right? So, God has shown us his goodness, and God has given us a testimony, right? So, don't, again, don't, be food, or don't be hung up on what you see where they are. And so Paul says, I counted all loss for Christ. And he says, yeah, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom, watch this, I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So when folks come with this worldly uh, moral code of, you know, I'm a good guy, or uh, 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 I'm okay. part of that philosophy is one that's all you can see where you are right now. so the the moral code is one, God is a good God, which is a true statement, God is a good God. number two, i'm a good guy. Number three, all good people go to heaven, right? it 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 sounds it sounds crazy right but there are a lot of people that have that mindset God is good I'm a pretty good guy and therefore all good people go to heaven and i said wow think about how many times you witness to people or just have a conversation about Christ some of the answers you get and and i hear things like i'll say you know How's your relationship with the Lord? And the, and the first thing the person says, well, I go to church, and I said, well, no, I'm I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm like, are you saved? Like, are you born again? And then they'll say, well, I'm a I'm a Catholic. I was like, well, okay, well, I'm not asking about your religion, what religion you are. Like, are you saved? Are you are you born again? And one guy told me, he said, he said, well, I'm saved. He said. But I'm not saved, saved. And I said, "Well, what does that mean?" <laughs> and he said, "You know what I mean." He said, "Well, I don't go to church like you go to church." So I said, "Well, going to church doesn't make me saved, right?" So again, com- this comparison thing, right? Looking at, well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. I may not be as good as you are, but I'm 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 a pretty good guy, and good people go to heaven, right? Like, no, (laughs) no, that's not what the Bible says. And so, Paul says, and to be found not having, watch this, my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is found through faith in Christ and through Christ alone. The righteousness which comes from God by faith. In verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death and if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead not that I had already attained either were already perfect but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, Pastor Walker mentioned Sunday about, um, this message was for serious inquirers only, and I thought about, um, for serious others. I know sometimes I like to, I like to buy stuff, you know, and I don't like to pay a lot of money for stuff, so if I want to get something, I'll, I'll go and, and I'll look what the price of it is for full price. And then it'll give me an idea of I want to buy something that's cheaper. So I may go on a Craigslist or somewhere like that and see if I can find it cheaper. And I've gotten good deals doing stuff like that. And um, last year I wanted to get this elliptical machine. So I looked online. A new one It was like $800. I said, I don't want to pay that much for an elliptical machine. So So I went on a Craigslist and I found one in Buckhead. And the guy... Um, gave it to me for 40 bucks, for $40. And so I went out and I looked at it, plugged it in, it worked. The thing was in mint condition. There was nothing wrong with it. I think he just wanted me to haul it away from his house. And so I thought about, like, how when I'm looking on Craigslist, sometimes underneath the ads they will say, for serious buyers only for serious inquirers only. In other words, what the guy is saying is, if you're not serious, don't waste my time and I don't want to waste your time. Right? That should be our attitude towards God. Right? Are we serious about God's word when his word comes forth? Right? Are we trying to bargain with God, you know, based on our goodness? Are we trying to negotiate with God, you know, well, Well, God, you know, I'll I'll obey you, just not today. But, God, I'll I'll do what you're saying, but maybe tomorrow I'll get to it. But the Lord is saying, no, this is for serious inquiries only. Are you serious or you're not serious? And I believe that, again, if we're going to move from good to great, God is calling us to be wholly involved in all ends so that we might understand our greater purpose. Let's look at Acts chapter 26 and verse 19. I see zeros on the clock. Does that mean my time is up? <laughs> oh, they didn't start it. They didn't start it? Okay. Acts, <laughs> Acts chapter 26 and verse 19. Paul's testimony to King Agrippa He says, after that, King Agrippa, I could not disobey the heavenly vision, both but in Damascus and Jerusalem, through the whole of Judea and to the Gentiles. said, I preach that men should repent and turn to God and live lives to prove their change of heart. This is why the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have received help from God myself, and I stand here as a witness to high and low, adding nothing to what the prophets foretold should take place. That is, that Christ should suffer, that he should be first to rise from the dead, and so proclaim the message of life, both to our people and to the Gentiles. And I think Paul was pretty serious about his purpose, he said, "I preach that men should repent and turn to God." That was my purpose—that I was—that I was running after—that they would turn to God and live lives to prove a change of heart, walking in genuine repentance. And Paul was so serious. I want to think about where we where we are in that—that that we we we. When we lunch out in our purpose, we stop thinking about, you know, what am I here for? Because that's that's a lot of times the question we think about purpose. What am I here for? But we would get to a point where we have a change of mindset to say, when we're moving from good to great, then our question is going to be, who are we here for? And I'm pointing at this sign up here, others. So when our, when our mindset changes from what am I here for to who am I here for, that's when we'll start to make the transition from good to greatness. And I want to close with this last scripture. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Verses 6 through 11. For when we were all without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than having now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved <clears throat> from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved through his life. And not only that, but we should rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And I started my message out by saying this, that the first call, or the first step is answering the call, which is the first step to finding purpose. Living for God's glory is the greatest achievement that we can accomplish with our lives. But it starts with us putting our trust in him and being reconciled to him. Amen.